Hello and welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike. Today I'm joined with Kelly Miller, who's an author, former corporate executive, and a social entrepreneur. So stay tuned. Welcome back, everyone, to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike. Today, I'm joined with Kelly Miller, who's an author, former corporate executive, social entrepreneur. Super excited for this podcast today. Kelly talks about his journey moving to Uganda, spending years in Uganda as the dean of student life at a primary and secondary school, all the way up through high school, and spending time there on mission, discipling for God's glory. Uh, we talk about being sent and called and uh, contextual ministry, uh, ministry, which means how do we understand the, the culture, the climate that we're in and how the good news wants to speak into that uh, and, and come to a fuller, more uh, truth and love filled understanding of, of who God is and what he desires for his people. Um, we, dis- we discuss a bit more about his book, Unexpected Joy, 314 Community, which he uh, has founded and started and uh, a whole lot more. And so without further ado, here's my conversation with Kelly. Thanks for joining me in the podcast today. You're welcome. Good to be here, Tyler. Yes. And so would love to just kick things off to get our listeners just to, and for myself to learn a bit more about you too, and your, you know, your faith formation, what your early uh, childhood was like, and where kind of how that's gotten to where you are today. And so I know that's there's a lot of years in there. So perhaps just a, a couple of minutes f- focusing on the highlights. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not known for being brief, so I'll do my best. Uh, so I grew up in suburban Atlanta, um, great family, grew up in the Catholic Church, had a great experience in the Catholic Church, came to know Jesus in the Catholic Church, hmm. um, went to college. I, I don't have the the wreck story like, like so many of the people I grew up with. Uh, I was never really interested in some of those dangerous things. It wasn't a moral thing. It was just I just felt like I wanted to spend my mo- my money and time on things like golf and uh, other and working out and enjoying life. But yeah. um, when I got out of school, I, I, I found success pretty quickly uh, in the business world. I kind of did everything first and everything better than my friends. And, and you know, growing up, I was in the popular crowd, but on the fringes of the popular crowd because I wasn't uh, dating the, the girls in the crowd as well. So there was this kind of pride that I had leaped ahead of all those guys that peaked in high school hmm. and, um, married a beautiful girl and life was going great. And then she got sick and had some big surgeries and life changed dramatically. And, uh, it was around that time that, um, I started looking at things differently and got hmm. involved in my church and started doing high school ministry in 2003 and through that experience, I, I did that for almost 14 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went to seminary in kind of 2005, 06, 07, and, um, and then started taking overseas trips with high school students. And so that entire uh, experience kind of gave me this well-rounded uh, set of skills and, and things that, that were apparently attractive to this ministry that wanted to build a school and do things mm-hmm. incredibly differently um, more so than, than, than what's been done anywhere in the East Africa. And so mm-hmm. they approached my wife and I to see if we'd be interested in leaving our comfortable business life and business world life and 
moving to Uganda to help build this school and be the dean of students of what was called Student Life, uh, which mm-hmm. was a intentional um, program as a boarding school. So our students, secondary students, lived in homes instead of big dorms. Mm-hmm. And Christ was at the center of everything, nurturing relationships, safe environments, classical education in, in Africa with under uh, privileged kids. And so, yeah, that's how that's how all this this started. Right. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I had a great foundation, um, but it was really more about me than it was about others. And, you know, God kind of turned that upside down through my work with high school students. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I I'd certainly resonate with you on, you know, kind of your backstory, you know, where you, where you kind of fit in and how you viewed yourself. Certainly that was a challenge. I think I wrestled and I'm sure a lot of others have wrestled too. And so, um, yeah, you mentioned Uganda. And so one of the things I love to do on this podcast, uh, obviously is just to have a lot of different type of guests hear from different backgrounds and stories. And I know now, right. With kind of the last 10, 20 years, uh, with communication network, we can kind of see what's going on in other places around the world. Um, but that doesn't obviously give us the inside look, the student life into that experience. And so just would love to hear about, you know, what, what did the gospel look like? What did Christianity look like in Uganda, right? For folks who have never, you know, perhaps don't even know what you, where Uganda is in East Africa or even in Africa. Um, some of the things that perhaps I have taken for granted sometimes, but you know, I'm, I'm sure you've, you've, when you were saying you were going over there, a lot of folks didn't have a clue of where, where that was. And so just would love to hear yeah. kind of about the, yeah, what was the Christian, what did the gospel look like in, in Uganda? Is it a pretty Christian, a lot of folks who are Christian there or, or not? It's not considered so a Christian nation. There's a, a big Muslim population, but uh, one of the interesting things about answering your question is that as, as I answer this question and I answer it a lot, it, 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 it brings me back to, and this is part of why I wrote the book, that we're, we're not that much different in America. It's just a different manifestation. But the faith of people in Uganda, whether they're Christian or Muslim, is mainly a faith of their community or a faith of their family hmm. um, and, or a faith of their culture. Hmm. And so uh, what you have is a lot of professing Christians, a lot of professing Muslims, um, but they're very indistinguishable. Uh, Hmm. Other than, you know, some some practices and some beliefs that they hold. Hmm. But if you challenge and say, hey, why do you believe what you believe? There is no answer. Hmm. And what I and and I kind of developed that practice of asking that question in the States before I left. Hmm. And I think that um, especially our young people, uh, they are grown up in the church. They're nurtured in the church. Certainly not a bad thing. I don't know what else you would do other than bring your kids and put them in loving environments. But they're kind of trained to believe in Jesus. Uh, it's easy. All their friends do it, right? Their family does it. Their community does it. And they've got great experiences. But the faith there is more familiar and cultural. Mm. And the Christian the Christian faith is very, very prosperity-oriented. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So when you're dealing with a group of vulnerable people, the mm-hmm. pastors, and I'm using air quotes for your audience— the pastors in Uganda uh, prey on the hopelessness and the material poverty to say, "Hey, if you give money, if you do these things, you know, we'll, you'll, you'll, your child will get healed, you'll get a job, all these things." And so, the prosperity gospel, what they they yeah. call it, the health, wealth, and happiness gospel, mm-hmm. is the prevailing Christian mm-hmm. 
uh, view in Uganda. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was curious and I kind of had a sense where I'm based here in Worcester. There's actually a lot a large, there's large African populations who have come to Worcester and actually worship in the church I'm, I'm at and other churches here. And um, yeah. there is a strong, there is, and this is kind of the challenge is how do you kind of unhitch some of the cultural assumptions or expectations that may not be gospel oriented, maybe value neutral or some that actually are kind of hinder the ex the really a fresh expression and the fruit of the gospel and so yeah certainly a lot of you know a lot of questions that you know we're i'm always asking and um i think it's important just as you said to, to ask these questions about about the christian doctrines about the faith here and maybe there are some things that are assumed um that really don't fully know the answer of why but you just kind of you know nod your head and, and and go along with it because that's what you know the the, the person next to you yep. in high school is doing yeah well that was my daily my daily burden um and programmatically discipleship wise that was the question for our students in uganda who are coming to us from such a dramatic context in many cases abuse in hmm. all cases material poverty hmm. um and their perspectives about god themselves the gospel important things like grace and suffering and the hmm. Holy Spirit, their perspectives are wrong. Okay. Hmm. And so just like if, if you have a, if, if you have a pair of sunglasses that have a lens and it's tinted, everything you see on the other side is wrong. Yeah. It's not the real color because you're looking through that lens. And so whether it's in Worcester or in Uganda, the, the way that, that we would engage is we would build relationships hmm. first um, because everybody who holds a belief has a source of that belief. And so when you're engaging with someone mm -hmm. in Worcester, you don't know if they believe that because it came from their father or their mother or their best friend or a pastor that they trust or a youth pastor that they trust. Mm -hmm. So anytime you're going to kind of wade into dangerous perspectives or wrong perspectives, it has to be done with such grace and, 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 mm -hmm. and careful steps. Because if you, if you don't, if you do it in the wrong way, you imply that, that somebody's misled them or lied to them and mm -hmm. then everything goes away. Mm -hmm. So the first thing yeah. is patience. The, yep. the second thing is the paradigm of relationship. You build a trusted relationship and you get to the point where you begin to talk about the perspectives they have. So tell me what you think about Jesus. Tell me what you think about suffering in the world. Tell me what you think about yourself. Like, how do you think God views you? Hmm. And through those questions, you can begin to understand what is their perspective? Do they view suffering as a result of the sins of their parents? Yeah. Do they view suffering as a result of a punishment from them or the, or their, their, their lack of of performance as it relates to some rubric of, of God's laws. Um, and so that's really what we did there. And right. what I would, what I would say yeah. to yeah. your audience is if you're in an environment where people are, are, there's a, there's a, a large set of wrong beliefs. You never engage those beliefs directly. I think it's, it's one of the mm. big mistakes the church makes all the time is tell people that they're wrong. Nobody, you're not going to get anywhere with anybody by just telling them that they're wrong. You engage mm. them you, you, you love them in the way that God has commanded us to do it. You build a relationship through which you can ask that question. Hey, why do you believe that? Why, where does that perspective come from? Because there's always a why and a who behind every belief. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. 
No, that's good. I think the, the one thing you mentioned too is, is performance. Um, I think that's something we certainly wrestle with in our context here and growing up in New England, you know, I think even for myself, you know, I realized, you know, coming from a hardworking family, you know, is if you work hard in life and if you do this well, that's, you're going to be viewed well. You'll, you'll, you'll live favor, you know, favorably, even yeah. whether it's connected to God or not to God. But if that's a, va- yeah. that's such a ingrained value, right? The kind of get up by your own bootstraps. You need to do it yourself. You need to perform to get to that level because nobody's going to help you. Um, and I think that like the gospel is the opposite is like in, in weakness, there is strength, right? Uh, and it's, you, you, you submit yourself, you surrender yourself. Um, that's it. and that's, it's like, it's so counterintuitive. So would love to kind of segue into your book here, unexpected joy. Um, yeah. you mentioned, you know, surrender, right. Kind of from the, the jump here. And so would love just to hear about kind of the, the genesis of this book and what, why it was so, you know, important for you and interesting for you to, to write this. Yeah. When, when I went to Uganda, you know, the, the, the first two years were, um, incredible as far as what I learned and what I experienced because I really did go with a with a plan to 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 hold loosely as to the how right like I I'm a creative person I'm a big idea person um, I've been doing ministry for a long time but the context of the culture in which we were living is different and so I relied heavily on my Ugandan friends and staff to say okay I want to do this, but how do we do it? How do we do it? How do we do it in this culture, in a sensitive way, in a way that respects people's experiences, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so we started doing that and we started seeing God bring tremendous results. Um, and then about two years in, you know, through a trusted friend, I found out that my Ugandan staff still didn't trust me. Hmm. And I'm like, I mean, and I had done everything I can to encourage them, to lead them. But because I was a foreign national with white skin, um, that was a barrier that was so difficult to overcome. And it was in that season of kind of despair where God showed me that although I had been doing good things for a very long time, and what I mean by good is uh, being a pillar of my community, leading Bible studies, you know, discipling direct people, being a small group leader, leading mission trips. I was doing good things that were good in and of themselves. But what God taught me in that moment was that Mm -hmm. my motivation was really more about how it made me feel and how it made me look. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that shocked me because I I Mm -hmm. did not know that about myself. And so Mm -hmm. I, you know, I had all, I had all the theology, right? I went to seminary, et cetera, but there was this, this moment where I was studying and there's this beautiful Greek word um, that is that is used by Paul and Peter and James and and indirectly by Jesus, which is a level of understanding that comes through intimate experience. And so there's when 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 God wants us to know something at a, at a deeper level that's based on experience with him, this word is used. And so I started recognizing that. My experiences in Uganda were a testimony to the truth and wisdom of Scripture. And that combined with the fact that we have this perception that that Uganda and, and other developing countries are more broken than we are. We're not. They're not. It's just a different manifestation. And so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I my perspectives changed completely. Not 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 perspective like 
I, I now understood what suffering meant. I always knew what suffering meant as far as theology goes, but to experience it, it validated that what God says about suffering and grace and the Holy Spirit is true. And when we surrender our efforts and our performance subject to his and mm-hmm. under his leadership and guidance, the opportunity to experience his fruit is there. And, I, and you, you mentioned mm-hmm. fruit, so I'm going to talk about it for just a second. Mm-hmm. Every day and almost every moment, we have the opportunity to settle for our own fruit or to cooperate, work with, lean into the Holy Spirit to experience his fruit, his joy, his love, his peace. And especially as Americans, we tend to choose ourselves all the time. And there's a lot of, you know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of reasons that we do that, given mm-hmm. our, our backgrounds and, and our wounds and our, and our journeys and, and the things we've gone through. But at the end of the day, we don't want to be told what to do. We, mm-hmm. we want to do it ourselves. We want to get the credit. We want to feel good about it. We want others to see it. And it's hard for us to, to say to God, hey, I can't do this the, without you, not in the way that it matters, right? And so mm-hmm. I, I wrote, I wrote this, this story or this book to help people understand that by engaging in their burdens, God will grow them to the correct perspectives. And living life through those perspectives unlocks the power of the Holy Spirit and mm-hmm. leads us to live the life the full life that Jesus wants us to live. Sorry, that was a long answer, but it's a, it's a broad question. <laughs> no, no, it's good. No, it's good. And I, I, I was, you know, very curious and could, would love for you just to unpack a little bit more into that. Um, yeah, the, the building trust with people, you said after two years, right when, from the beginning, you know, even after two years of being with these folks, they didn't trust you and outside you know, perspective and, you know, you had been doing all these things, but can you talk a bit more about the, you know, you're talking about the, the intimacy or the, the level of trust, what, what then, and I know that you came to realization yourself, but then what, what were the, the steps that followed that to then build that trust and to, yeah, better understand, you know, who God is and what your, what your purpose is in the midst of that. So what I, what I really started surrendering was the this this idea that I had a pure motivation, mm-hmm. uh, and I and I began to accept the fact that my a big part of my motivation for being there was how it made me look and how it made me feel, yeah. and and I think one of the reasons Tyler that that this was mm-hmm. hidden from me was because hmm. I have generally helped people in every way possible. So as a mm-hmm. business leader, mm-hmm. as an executive, my teams have always been the highest performing teams. Uh, I've never had anyone quit on me. I always help people become a better version of themselves. I've, I've had tremendous success um, mm. in developing relationships that God has used with young people. Um, but I, I never realized that I was doing that mainly because of how it made me feel, meaning it was more for my benefit than theirs. The fact that they benefited kind of hid the fact that right. my motivation was wrong. Right. And so what I started praying was that I prayed, I was praying to the spirit to, to change my motivation to be for them and for God. Yes. So, you know, you people say that, you know, for our good and for his glory, that type of thing. But that was kind of my prayer, which was like, Hey, change my heart so that I want to help them and love them for their sake mm-hmm, and not mm-hmm. my own. Right. And as I began to engage in that way, 
Um, God began to change my heart. Of course he does, right? That's that's what the name it and claim it verses mean in John 14. When you, when you ask for something in his yeah. name for the reason of people to know Christ, he will do it. And he did. I asked, I asked for him to change my heart in that way. And so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as, as, as my motivation changed, I stopped, stopped evaluating myself based on the actions of others right. and evaluated myself on whether I was loving them for their sake, or at least pursuing that, right? Because right. my flesh is still there. Yeah. And um, that's when everything changed. All of a sudden, the, these people that were polite and loving to me, but for for all the wrong reasons, yeah. became my friends and became people that bought into what we were doing. And then their motivation changed. And we began to recruit based on motivation, like making sure that if you're going to come work at our school, it was for the right reasons. Right. And it's a hard right. thing in the developing world because it's a paycheck, right? And so it's kind of hard to figure right. that out. So right. Right. that was that was really that was really it for me. It was realizing that mm-hmm. you can do self help and you can do self care, but you can't do self transformation. You can't just wake up one day and say, you know what? I'm going to change my motivation. You can't change your motivation. Your motivation is your motivation. Mm. Um, you can you now we participate, of course, in our sanctification, and we mm. we work with the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's way more God than it is us. I can tell you that. Yeah. And so until we surrender that that the performance and the results, it's not going to happen. Mm. So that's that's what no, really what it was for me. Yeah, and just reflecting on been kind of refreshing going through the gospels and right jesus came to serve not to be served and it's like that's that's the motivation right out of if anyone who you know the the amount of power authority significance that he had and yet it's self-sacrificial right and even in you know that he he's baptized you know by john the baptist it's like the the humility it takes right to to identify with those around us to serve them for for them and so Kind of, I'm going to, this is uh, something, so I actually also work in, you know, in Worcester here and have, have a heart for a lot of this type of work too. And one of the things uh, I do, and perhaps others who are listening, right, they want to be involved in helping, right? You know, maybe if you're, depending on your background, you know, for charity or social good, or, you know, they want to help the, help the, those in need, the poor, a lot of different ways of looking at it. And um, I love, you know, when volunteers or people are excited about this because they love to hand out the bags, hand out the the water bottles and give the material things um, to people. And that's often right is a great kind of entry point for people to, to get involved in volunteerism and to get involved in in serving one another. Um, but I love how you, you know, you talk about the role and mission is beyond the material things, but touches on dignity and identity. Uh, which I think is, is 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 spot on, and so would love for you just to, you know, how how did you learn that? How how have you understood that? And what what is part of that that process? So it's a thank you for asking that question. I I'm so glad you did because I I think this is one of the things that unless you've had direct experience, sometimes the reality of of how foreign aid doesn't necessarily help can be hurtful or when you invest in people mm-hmm. and you don't see kind of the results that we would want that it, that it hurts your heart and it maybe discourage you. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so when, when we went there, we, you know, our students, it's a boarding school and um, God just gave me this idea that we needed to involve their families. I didn't know why it was going to be so important until later, but as it turns out, 
students that go to boarding schools who are sponsored, if they're sponsored, they're very materially poor. If they're very materially poor, it's a difficult situation. Those sponsorship organizations essentially ignore their families, um, not hmm. out of spite or not out of, it's just simply resource. It's very difficult for them to do that. Hmm. Um, but it creates a tension between the students, the family, and the scholarship organization. So we had this idea that we were going to involve our families. Hmm. And that meant visiting with them every month, going to where they live and sitting with them. Hmm. And as we were trying to design it, we, 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 we decided to have it be completely unstructured and focus on friendship and focus on dignity hmm. and focus on value. And so by just showing up, and sitting with them in their homes, not even speaking the language, as far as I'm, for me, my Ugandan staff obviously was there, mm-hmm. but um, the amount of dignity that they felt in, in, ha- in just listening to them, building a friendship with them, became the foundation for other conversations. But then also, if there was an opportunity to come alongside them with some kind of aid or investment, that investment would more often than not prove to be a good investment. And what we see on the opposite, and trust me, you 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 spend a week there, you can find ten projects. You can find ten people that say, "Hey, I have an idea. I want to start this. I want to do this. I just need some money." You know, all the hard luck stories, all the stuff. I mean, and your 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 instinct is just to give everything, give them the money they need, help them get going. But in my experience, yeah. and the experience of most of the people that 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 have done things like me is that if you don't deal with a person's dignity and identity at the core, you can't really help them, even out of material poverty. Right. It's kind of like in yep. the United States, our, our, our failed welfare system. We Our answer in the United States is just give people things. And if you look, if you spend any time in the foster care system or the welfare system, these are people who don't feel value in our culture. And they have just been given everything. There's and, and there's something in undignifying by having someone having to rely on somebody else completely. Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we were it was almost a gift that God gave us that we decided to center uh, our 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 ministry around including the families and dignifying them with our yeah. presence and our and their attention. And I mean, I could go on for hours about how God used that to bring people into authentic Mm-hmm. Uh, fruit-bearing faith, but the point is, is that it has to start with saying you have value as being created in the image of God. Hmm. You have equal value in your culture, even though you're a female, right? Even though you're a widow, even though you can't bear children, hmm. you still have equal value to God and to right. me and to your your family. Right. And I, I think that, yeah, I know it, it's huge, and. Um... So in, in in involving the families, because you're, you're, you're saying once these kids are going in, into the school, they don't have a lot of contact with their families. And so how does, I, I guess I'm just clarifying, how does the, the family engagement, does, yeah. is, is it validating for the students that they, that they feel like they're taken care of, not simply as an individual, but they're part of their family unit? Everyone is having, even yeah. that kind of, just that presence is valuable. Is that, is that, yeah. am I on the right track here or no? You're on the right track. I think it'd be helpful if I just quickly explain the structure. Cause so yeah. our students typically in, in, in developing countries, especially in East Africa, boarding schools are overcrowded. Like the biggest, the, the big, the main school in our town had 10,000 students. Um, and they live oh, in wow. dorms that have 300, 300 beds, 
right? So you can imagine all the things, right? So our students live in homes. They, their dorm rooms have six beds and there's 18 students to a home. And then there's a married couple that does life with those students to model a, a Christ-centered marriage. Those, that role is called family mentors. It's their job to build a relationship with the family in, in the community separate from their kids. Mm-hmm. So while the kids are in boarding school, they will go and visit the family and develop a relationship mm-hmm. with them. But the students seeing their mentors and their school value their family is one of the most important things hmm. we do. Um, because when a kid's at boarding school and the scholarship organization, sponsorship organization pays for everything, they begin to resent their family because their family's not investing. Mm-hmm. Then the family begins to resent the kid because of their attitude. And then the family begins to resent the sponsorship organization because they feel like they're the reason that their kids don't respect them anymore. Mm-hmm. Whereas that, with what we did, it was the exact opposite. Our students would see us valuing their family and they were no longer embarrassed about their material poverty. They'd want to know, they say, uncle, uncle, did you see, did you see my grandma? Did you see okay. my mom? Right. Ever. And, and then when we have what's called visitation day, which is halfway through every term at boarding schools, the families come and visit. And at most schools in the country, uh, it's a, it's a solemn uh, occasion. It's, it's something that nobody likes, but at our school, it's a celebration. The kids run to their families, they hug them, they're in tears, they're so happy. Mm -hmm, And it, mm -hmm. in literally all we're doing is visiting them, visiting their parents, sitting with them for 45 minutes to an hour, how are you doing? Yeah. Never give them anything. There's never any monetary or 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 physical gift. It is yeah. pure relationship. Yeah, I love that. And it's I think you know for many of us, the 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 goal. Maybe this is going back to what you were saying earlier. Is just to to rather than doing that, just start another Bible study. Start another program. Invest into what the one of those ten ideas of people, right? And, yeah. and sometimes we can just so we can be so consumed on that that we just miss the people right in front of us. Um, exactly. And and sure. that's that's something I wrestle with, and I know many of us wrestle with. And it's like, you know, I, I don't know. It's, sometimes I just feel like it's just what Jesus intended <laughs> that we're that we're supposed to do. And so our founder, our founder is very fond of saying, "Just love the person in front of you." Right. Yeah. Um, you know, my pastor always says, what does, what does love require of you? And right. if you kind of combine those two, right, God doesn't need us to start some big ministry or do some big things. I mean, if that's, if that opportunity comes and that's where he's leading, that's fine. But what he's asking us to do is to live and engage with the people around us in such a way that, that points people to him right. and makes people, makes people ask you about your faith or, and then we're challenged what to to give to give a testimony yeah. as to what we believe, what we believe, or why we live the way we live. Yeah. But you're 100 percent right. Like we, there are people all around us. You know, we 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 all know the love your neighbor thing. But how many of us really engage with our literal neighbors? Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We 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 love our private backyards, and uh, we're we're we a, we're a backyard community here in in New England for sure. And so that's right. Yeah. No, but it, it's true. And I think just for folks who are listening, perhaps there's, you know, people who have been on missions trips or, you know, or even missionaries here or involved just in, in loving our neighbor, our little neighbor on mission in our cities, uh, which is equally as important. Um, and oftentimes we think success looks like giving some sort of item or thing. Uh, but oftentimes it's just the being with somebody, encouraging them and affirming their identity and their dignity. It's kind of what I'm hearing from you, and I don't know, it resonates with me. 
Yeah. It matters. It, uh, I'm telling you, the at the core of the human brokenness is this desire to be known and this desire that that our life matters. And the the biggest gap is in, in human beings. And, and, and we are in some ways, Tyler, our material wealth masks this brokenness in all of us. But we want to know that our life matters. We want to know that we matter. We want to know that the brokenness and the suffering we go through matters. Yeah. At the core level, like we want to know that it matters. Yeah. That all this, all the difficulty, all we go through, that it matters somehow. Yeah. And the only way it matters is with Jesus. Full stop. Right. Without Jesus, nothing matters. And yeah. and that's not a theological statement. That is, you know, you can look at any world religion. It does not bring meaning to any part of our life, right? Christ brings meaning to every part of our life. And so when we look at a human being, if we don't deal with their core need, which is to matter, and how can we help someone matter? By just giving them our time and attention, asking them questions. Yes. There is nothing yes. better yes. to listen. We all love to talk about ourselves. Some of us just need to be asked. Yes, spot on. Well, this is great. Kelly, just would love to hear, you know, I know you've, you're, uh, you launched 314, 314 community. Would love for you just to kind of share a bit more about, uh, you know, what that is and what you guys do there. Yeah. Yeah. So I mentioned the sponsorship organizations, which there's no bigger fan than me. So if, if anybody misunderstands that I'm being negative, I am not. Sure. Uh, the sponsorship organizations around the world play a absolutely vital role in students um, yes. getting an opportunity to go to go to school and 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 all that, but the mm -hmm. reality is is that boarding schools are big and overcrowded and they're largely inexpensive and you can concentrate kids fairly easily. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to post secondary, um, getting a degree in a vocation or uh, going to a university, um, 90, 90 plus percent of sponsored kids do not move on beyond secondary school. Hmm. And that is not a criticism. That is just a fact of logistics, funding, and, and, and governance limitations. Sure. So, and then even if they do get selected to go, right, because every sponsorship organization will have a subset of, of students depending on their factors that do qualify to go to university or something because they're materially poor and come from a, a what they're called villages they're going to be abused and made fun of at mm -hmm. their tertiary or university mm -hmm. so they so most of them even if they go they don't make it the last thing is is that even if they go and they stay they're in a very unsafe environment um they're often there's a they're renting a bed in a hostel um and then if they make it all the way through, the opportunity for them to get a job is is limited because they're probably in they're probably in, in a field of study that was what they could get a scholarship for or what their sponsorship organization was comfortable with or what would honor their village. And what I say when I say that, right. half of my mentors had accounting degrees because an accounting degree is a a very honorable job, uh, even though they don't have jobs, it's an honorable degree. Uh, it brings brings a lot of honor to their community, yep. just that they have a degree. Yep. doesn't matter that they can't get a job, right? <laughs> no, so, nope, so what we're nope. doing is we're piloting a program with the students from the school where I worked, and we are going to create um, 
a support organization where we have um, uh, we provide the housing, the mentoring, the discipleship, the safe environments. We provide tuition assistance to the scholarship organizations, hmm. and then we we will walk with these students as they as they move beyond secondary school and then into the workforce and into life. And so we do this as a background organization. So typically a sponsorship organization will have a 15, 16 year relationship with those students. We don't get in the way of that, but we become an opportunity. So we come to the sponsorship organization and say, hey, you know, you're, we, we can help you pay. We can give you the money so that you're still the connection to the family. We'll send, you can send them to university. They will live with us. They will live with their peers. We will have mentors. We'll have structure, discipline, and community and fellowship, and we will help these kids thrive, and then we will move them into mm. the workforce. And at the same time, we are we are doing community development and, and, and real entrepreneurship mm. in the communities from which they come. Because the for, whether you want to say fortunately or unfortunately, one of the reasons there's a cycle of poverty is even as, as a very small number of students make it out of poverty, mm-hmm. they, they, the, whatever money they make, goes back into their community to take care of people. So yeah. if you want if you want a country to change, we believe that it's going to start with a, a group of students who are equipped and who are equipped to live fully for the glory of God, but also a community that's coming up out of poverty at the same time yes. so that they can focus on growing their country. So yeah. that's, that's what we do. We provide background services to sponsorship organizations so that kids have safe environments and discipleship and mentorship once they get into post-secondary education. Yeah, that's good. It sounds like you're doing the redeeming work that is necessary of seeing, you know, being with people and saying, hey, look, things can change, not through our own strength, but through the, through the Lord's Lord's work. And things can that's look right. different, not only for individuals, uh, but communities can be transformed and changed. Um, and right. I think that's the, the, the totality of the, the gospel and the, the God we serve. Wants that wants to be in every aspect of our life and society. So, well, that's awesome, Kelly. Just any any final things for the the book? You know where we can find it or anything you'd like to add or, or mention before we uh, log off today. Uh, the book is the book is everywhere uh, that you would find books. All online retailers, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. It's in brick and mortar stores as well. But um, given that your audience is uh, a little more. Um, open to topics of theology and things like that. Mm-hmm. I'll let out a bit of a secret that this is a a theology and doctrine book completely in disguise. So uh, it's it's full of good doctrine and theology, but it's it's presented in a way that is all through stories of our students, their families, and the community, and mainly Uganda. So it's mm-hmm. a it's a good middle. It's a good middle ground. Um, but I really wrote the book for Christians who are you know that, that who are regenerate but they're not living life with spirit and so this is mm-hmm. this is this mm-hmm. is the benefit of doing that mm-hmm. and how to do that mm-hmm. so yeah fantastic well thank you kelly it's been a it's been a joy and uh just an honor to have you on and so thanks for, uh, for thank your you. time I enjoyed today. It. absolutely